Take a seat. We will get started. Appreciate you being here. JT, remind me, I need to talk to you before you leave. Don't you love it when people call you out? Uh, if I don't tell you, I'll, you'll, I'll forget, but I know you won't. Okay. Uh, oh, I take it many of you have met JT. Okay. But between the two of us, surely. Um, Thank you so much for being here. It's time to begin our Wednesday evening class. I had to run back to uh, the office and get something, and I'm out of breath. I don't know what causes that. <laughs> JT, don't you say it. As we begin tonight, I want to. Uh, there's a couple of announcements that we need to make. Um, remember in prayer, of course, Patrilla Maddox continues in rehab at the Baptist Memorial Hospital in Oxford. Joe Garrett is home following knee surgery. Becky Kendrick is in Magnolia Hospital following knee surgery. Adrian Edge is at home and he has been placed on hospice. Um, and also Sister Anita asked that we remember her and her prayers as she is uh, dealing with some health issues uh, currently. So let's remember those folks in our prayers. And we'll do that in just a minute. Hope you will as well. The Salute to Our Graduates Bulletin will be published soon, so if you are a 2021 graduate, and you might remind those who are um, not just high school, graduating any trade school, college, etc., and want to be included in this bulletin, uh, make sure that you turn in your information to the office tonight. Beginning Wednesday, June the 2nd, masks will be optional for our classes and assemblies. Volunteers are needed to help with the Pineville Luncheon on June the 8th. If you can help, please sign the list in the foyer. And there are many announcements in the bulletin, and like, uh, don't be like me, I am sometimes lax in getting the bulletin. Uh, there are many things that you can be kept up to speed with in the bulletin. And one of those is, you'll notice, um, this year we're not having our traditional Vacation Bible School, which is usually a community outreach. Uh, but we are having an event on Saturday, June the 12th, and we're calling it Saturday Bible Camp. It is, uh, the primary focus is for our ages 6th grade and down, and we are going to include, um, in fact, Jordan and I are going to meet Sunday, we're going to include the teens as, on staff in that, but we need volunteers. Now, I want to make an apology up front or give you a disclaimer. I have been uh, rather swamped the last three months and have not started uh, publicly talking about that as much as I should. So you don't say, well, he didn't ask me. That's because he either thinks he has or forgot. So please, if you're willing to help with that, it's a Saturday, uh, June the 12th from 9 to 3. There'll be lunch served. The plan is Bible classes in the morning. There'll be lunch and, and then uh, some additional activities in the afternoon. So if you're willing and can help with that partially, uh, whether it's a teacher, whether it's whatever, please send me a text or send me an email or see me. But whatever you do, don't just pass by and say, I'll help, unless you actually physically stop me and watch me write it on a piece of paper. Otherwise, I may or may not remember that. 
But I just wanted uh, you to know, be praying for that, be thinking about that, and we hope that you will help with that if you can. Uh, we typically won't need as many as we would for a week long, but any help is appreciated, and prayers especially. Okay, also, I do need your help with this. If you have old, empty Kleenex boxes, empty shoe boxes, or boxes that are relatively that size, not much bigger than that, please do not bring me a refrigerator box. Um, but if you have those empty boxes, if you will bring those, uh, we need those for a project. We'd appreciate that very much. Let's begin by going to God in prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to study your truth, especially study it from the perspective of personal evangelism. And as we study tonight, Father, help us to be mindful of the precious nature of souls and of the responsibility that you have placed upon those whom you have washed in the blood of your Son. Thank you, Father, for that grace and that mercy. And as we study tonight, may we be studious, mindful, focused, and anxious to put into practice what we learn. Father, before we close our prayer tonight, we offer up thanks for all that you do for us, and especially are we mindful and asking for your blessings upon those we have mentioned who have asked for our prayers, who are facing medical, physical needs, that you, Father, know the things that they need better than we know them. And Father, we ask your hand upon them and those who are caring for them and the family members who are uh, watching after them and longing for their health. All of these things we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Now, I will say this, one practice that I intended to put into place tonight, I forgot all about, so I'm not going to put it into place until next week. But I still want you to uh, ask questions as you have them. I want to do a better job of making sure that my intentions are beginning next week and the individuals that I was going to use are out of town on vacation, so that's probably why I didn't think about it, uh, or one of them is. Uh, Dale's going to help me. He doesn't know it yet, but he probably is going to help me. Um, Nod your head like this. Okay, good. Um, starting next week, I'm planning on having these two... There they are. These two mics, uh, maybe a little more uh, moving them about, mobile, so that folks who need to can hear the comments. Now, tonight, I'll do my best to repeat things that are said so that you can hear them. But we want your involvement. I want you to hear what's involved. I want you to, if I have to break uh, an outline down into four different lessons, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. That means that we're talking about it. And we're discussing it. So tonight, our lesson four, as we think about some things, is basically part two of what we had begun last week. As we began to think about three essentials of effective personal evangelism. Now, by way of review, personal evangelism is simply evangelism is taking the good news of the grace and salvation offered by our God through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
that is found through the blood of Christ, that is contacted through obedience to the gospel. That's the good news of what God offers us. Couldn't get much simpler than that. But my involvement in taking that good news, in sharing the salvation that's in the gospel, to some, I have it, and I am so thankful that I have it. And by the way, we haven't gotten to that lesson yet, but do you think that's a component necessary in a personal teacher of God's truth to others? I have to be thankful for what I have before I'm motivated to share it with somebody else. I get what I have. So much so that I could not, not, I could not, not share it with someone else. But that's later. To be effective at, at doing my part in teaching God's truth of salvation found in Christ to somebody else, there are some things that I, essential, there are some things that have to be in place. For that to work the way God would have it to work. And the first one is understanding. Now, we're going to review, but we will not go back. First of all, we must understand that the world is lost. I, I'm not going to want to teach the world unless I understand the world is lost. And we went through that rather intently. Luke 19.10 Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost, those who are lost. So, there can't be a saved anything unless there is first a lost something. Okay. And second, we must understand, and this is where we were last week, and we had some valuable discussion. Second, we must understand that the lost will be lost for eternity in a devil's hell from the presence of God in a place of punishment and torment. That's a, a, a long, I'm not trying to be impressive there. That's a mouthful, as someone might say. But to truly become motivated enough to prepare enough to make the effort to teach someone else do you agree that I must have the understanding that the lost, sometimes they're lost, but yeah, okay, they're lost, but, but there's always a loophole. There's always a, you know, God's grace is in effect. That's true. God's grace is in effect. And when someone asks me a point blank question about someone who's gone from this life... I will not sit as their judge because that's not my place. My place is to be a teacher of what God has said about what an individual has to do in order to be saved from sin, washed in the blood, and not lost for eternity. And if I am holding true to that, then the absolute truth is, if I choose, if an individual chooses to be lost, then according to Matthew 25, 41, that is a place that God has already prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a place referred to as fire. And according to 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 that we looked at, it is a place where those who obey not the gospel. Isn't that what he said? In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God. See the reference there to hell? 
who know not God and who obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He does say that, right? Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I meant to mention this last week, but we got into some interesting questions. And so I won't take the time to... I do, I do want to take just a moment for you to think about something. And maybe this will help you in your study with someone else. Have you ever wondered why hell is so dark? That's not a trick question. It said, uh, who shall be punished? Uh, into everlasting darkness, Matthew 25, into everlasting darkness. Doesn't it say that? Doesn't the scripture say everlasting darkness? It does, doesn't it? Yes? No? Why is hell so dark? There's no light there. Well, why is there no light there? It's interesting. When you read Revelation 21 and 22, it says there is no need, uh, there is no need of the sun there or the moon there for the light of the glory of the Lamb of God and the light of the glory of God in another scripture is the light. So what's the light of heaven? God and his son. So why is hell everlasting? Why is it so dark? Because God's not there. Yeah, because there's nothing that has anything to do with God that's there. Turn to Revelation 21. I wanted to segue into that because we did not read that particular passage last week. And that goes right along with what you just said, Sister Marilyn. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. And I notice the description of God's people here in a safe condition. God's people in heaven. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said... And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I read all of that because I wanted you to get a, a firm picture in your mind of what salvation looks like. What eternal salvation looks like. Now look at verse 8. But... That Greek word become that English word, that contrast. Same flow of thought, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, that's on the heels of Revelation 20, 
about verse 12 through 15, that shows the judgment scene. In the very last phrase that led into verse 1 here, the very last phrase of chapter 20 said, whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, very clear, in fact, I just referenced that very clearly, that those who are lost are lost for all eternity in a terrible place. Now, do you think, do you think someone who is going to be motivated to teach other people to fulfill the requirement, the responsibility, the admonition of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Mark 16, 15, 16, we have to have a firm understanding that the lost are truly going to be lost, and that is a bad thing. No, no, that is a terrible thing. Why do we need that understanding, you think? Why is that understanding? Yes, it's a fact. My understanding it or not, or my truly believing it or not, isn't going to change the fact that it is a fact, a Bible fact. But why is it a necessary understanding for me if I'm going to be effective? You can't teach what you don't understand. True. So why is the understanding that the lost, that's what lost is, important for me? You hit on a key. She said sometimes it's hard for us uh, to think about those who are good people uh, and, and are not terrible people that they're going to be lost. We have to realize that. Okay, the reason I agree with that totally, because if I realize it, that's going to give me incentive and, and depth of, that's going to help me want to make them understand it, help them realize it. If I realize this is a high-stakes situation, that's going to change the preparation I put into it. Change my demeanor, perhaps. But that's an understanding. Okay, let's look at number three. I'd like to finish these tonight. Third, we must understand that those who do not obey the gospel will be lost. Okay, that one is almost... We went into such depth that I don't think we're going to need to, to go too far into this one tonight because we pretty much covered it. But we understand that those who don't obey the gospel will be lost. Now, I, that's a separate one for a reason, and I want us to think about that. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, we've already discussed it. On those who don't know God and who do not obey the gospel. Okay, now, just nod your head like this. Is it... Uh, is it the case that there are many people who do believe that there is a God in heaven and that he created heaven and earth and that there is indeed going to be a judgment and that there is going to be a loss, a, 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 salva, a saved state and a lost state? However, when we get to the idea, is it absolutely necessary for me to obey the gospel exactly the way it is patterned in the Bible? Uh, let's not get too picky now. We're all going to the same place as long as we accept God as God. That sounds great. And I have no problem with that. 
or let me rephrase, I would have no problem with that, except Scripture plainly says that He comes with His angels taking vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. So that key word is obey. There's a gospel and then there's an obey. And Jesus said something in John 12 that you cannot dismiss. In verse 48, He said... He who rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken. Ever wondered why Jesus used the plural in the first, but not in the second? Receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken. Because he's talking about himself. He's talking about the truth. Uh, Hebrew... First Peter 4, 17, those who do not what? That don't obey the gospel. So, is that why Paul said in Romans 1, 16, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to save? Yes. So when he said the word that I've spoken, Hebrews 4, 12 said, the word of God is quick. The what? The word. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the truth, the gospel. So if we reject that, so can you reject the word? According to this, you can. I mean, you can do it, but you can't do it and be right. Can we, can I choose to not obey the gospel? According to that, I can. Now, let's look at Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. And I'm going to get a volunteer this time. To read, if you'll be real loud. Matthew 7. Now I know that many of you, uh, Luther can quote it, and some of you can probably quote it as well, because you've studied it over and over. It's in the parable, I'm sorry, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 21, it goes all the way through 27. Do I have a volunteer? Yes, ma'am, please. Have you ever wondered, okay, first of all, notice here that there are two groups of people clearly distinguished in Scripture, in what Jesus said. There are those who hear the sayings, both groups heard it, right? One group chose to do what they heard, obey, and others chose to not do, not obey what they'd heard. Now, one group were those who were Saved because they were in a house built on a rock that withstood the storms, right? 
and there were others who faced destruction. Uh, yes or no? We, is that, am I seeing that clearly in that passage? Okay. Now, back up to verse 21. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's salvation. That's being in the kingdom. That's being... And I don't want to preach a sermon here, but we go back, think about uh, um, 1 Thessalonians. No, no, that's not right. Colossians 1, I knew I was. Verse 13 and 14. Uh, we've been delivered out of the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Yes. And that includes what? Verse 14. Salvation through his blood. Redemption. Even the forgiveness of sins, it says, through his blood. Okay. Now... I read something on one occasion that I had never read before, and I know if you've heard me preach, if you've got a, a powerful memory, you've remembered me saying this. If not, this will be new to you. But in um, this idea, well, let me illustrate it for you. I have some folks that I work with at, at Wheeler that I have known. Uh, um, in fact, I still call... I still call Mr. Sweeney, Mr. Sweeney. I guess he intimidates me. Uh, no, it's the respect that I have, this, the, the position. Okay, but I have some teachers that just for this year, I have begun for the first time, I've been there four years, that I, call, that I called a, certain, a couple of ladies that I work with closely by their first name. Uh, and I didn't do that the first year, the second year, the third year. That had a lot to do with the way I was brought up. But it also, it, I did not know them well enough. Uh, but once I've worked, when you've worked with somebody, when you've taught with somebody and been all day, every day for quite some time, you b begin to develop a, a relationship. And so I started calling them by their first name. And, and that's, uh, I didn't call Luther Luther for quite some time. That's just, and you said, what are you talking about? In Matthew seven twenty one, I read that it was a custom in Palestine in this era, in, this, in Christ's time, and I didn't know this for a long time. It makes perfect sense. To use a term twice, Lord, Lord, to use a name twice was an outward public sign of a close relationship. Kind of like instead of me saying, hello, Mr. Mormon, you know, I, I, I'm okay if you're okay with calling you Luther because we know each other. That's okay, right? I, okay. The idea was you go back to the book of Luke. On one occasion, remember when Jesus warned Peter he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you, sift you like wheat. But when you have returned, and I never wondered why, why did Jesus repeat that? Was he just stuttering? Was that just kind of a, a misspeak there? Actually, no. In the custom of the time, it would have caused Peter to stop short and look back because he said, Simon, Simon. That's, that was a term of deep relationship, a term of endearment, a term of respect or friendship. Now, what's that have to do with anything? When you go to Matthew 7, 21, it's not on purpose. Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says, hey, we know each other. Hey, we have that relationship is actually correct. Not everyone who will claim to have that relationship simply because of their own thought process really have that relationship. But only those who do the will of my Father. Many in that day, what day? Judgment will say, Lord, Lord, I know you. I mean, I'm a Christian. Look at all the things I've done. But he, how harsh is it that the Lord would say, "Go, I don't know who you are. He's saying you're claiming that 
family relationship, that close relationship. But I don't know you. And why don't I know you? Because you haven't obeyed the will of God. They haven't obeyed. Say it again, louder. They never obeyed the gospel. That's why this point is there. That I must understand that those who don't obey the gospel are going to be lost. Okay? Now, I want us to very briefly... In fact, we won't turn and read that because we're coming back to that verse later. But I wanted to get it into your thought process because in Ezekiel 3, verse 16, Ezekiel, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. And he goes on to say, if someone hears your warning if, huh, and heeds it, which means obeys it, then guess what? That soul shall be saved from death. Now, I'm going to stop there because we're going to go back. When we get to another point, we're going to come back to this passage because it turns on us. It turns to us. But the simple fact is that a, a soul, any soul, my soul, your soul, every soul has to be willing to heed the message of God. So I have to understand that those who choose not to obey are going to be lost. And that's important for me. But number four, here's something that may press our toes a little bit. Here's something that may press our toes just a little bit. An understanding that you and I absolutely have to have. If we're going to be effective as someone who teaches others the truth, is an understanding about those who fall away from God. I'm talking about, we call them wayward Christians, erring Christians, erring Christians. Those who fall away from God, from Christ, the church, from the truth, they too will be lost in the very same fashion as those who don't obey the gospel. That's an understanding we must understand. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And if one of you would read that for us, Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 6. Okay, thank you. If you look at that passage of Scripture, the first three verses talk about growth. 
talks about children of God, God's people growing as we should. But then, verse 4 and 5, folks, when you're studying with someone and trying to convince them about the beauty and the wonder and the awesomeness of God's salvation, one of the greatest descriptions of what it's like to be saved in the hand of God is verses 4 and 5 of Hebrews 6. Salvation, one of the greatest descriptions of salvation is right there. And it's so power, it's so beautiful. But verse 6, it says what? If they fall away. Now you go back to verse 4, it's impossible for those who were, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Now, please don't misunderstand that. That does not say that it is impossible for a, a, a child of God who falls away to go to heaven. That's not what that says. That it is impossible for someone who sins and leaves God to repent. That is not what that says. You have to read the rest of it. What it does do is show us the depth of that condition, which changes the way you and I have to think about those who have left. Now, what does it say, verse 6? Why is it impossible since they crucify for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame? Okay, those who rejected... By the way, you have to understand the language here. Those who rejected Christ... I mean, those who crucified Christ, why did they do that? Because they rejected Him as the Savior. So, crucifying Christ is synonymous with rejecting Him as the Savior. So why can't you, why can't someone who rejects Christ be saved? Because there is no other salvation. There is no other. So if you take the only salvation and reject it, it's impossible for you to be saved. You mean God can't save you? Oh, no, I didn't say that. It's impossible for you to be saved because you've turned your back on the only open door He has given. Okay, now, why did I go through all of that? Time-wise, I've got to hurry. We have to understand when we go out, sometimes we have this... Um, okay, and I'm going to say something here, and I'm going to be very careful. This was... Uh, I don't mean this ugly. I don't mean it judgmental. I, I'm... I, for, I ask for forgiveness in advance if I sound like I'm being harsh, because I'm truly not. It was a situation that I know of many years ago. Many years ago. So it's irrelevant now anyway, except for a teaching tool. The idea was a group of God's people got very interested in doing what the Bible says about church discipline. Withdrawing. Okay, you need to study that. You need to understand that. Fine, because it's in there. But the long, the, the, the long, the end of it turned out to be something like this. Here is a list of all the people who used to be a member of this congregation. There are some who haven't been in this building in 25 years. Go out and tell them if they're not here next Sunday, we're going to have to withdraw fellowship. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, okay, I, I understand. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, that fellowship, that ship has already sailed. Uh, she's gone. Uh, so that fellowship has to be renewed with God first. 
See, that's the point I'm making. Now, so we shouldn't even talk. No, 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 I didn't say that at all. We have to make sure that we understand that when someone leaves the Lord, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that the problem is not when we say you're not sitting in this place. And that's a problem. May I say this very gently? That little problem. Because the problem that led to that empty pew was a long time coming and it's way deep. And that has to be addressed first. Now, that can't be addressed in a, uh, because I go to you. You, you uh, JT, may I use you as an example? JT. Okay, good. He didn't nod his head. I thought he was. Uh, how about you? Would you consider JT and, um, oh, man. Oh, sorry. I'm, Luther, excuse me. Thank you. Don't help me. But, okay, sorry, Luther. I had a moment. Uh, would you consider those two gentlemen to be very faithful and knowledgeable? Let's say, God forbid, and I pray never, but let's say for whatever reason, Luther says, okay, I'm done. I'm not coming back. I'm done. And I go out to Luther's greenhouse, and he's out there putting in plants in the early part of the spring, and he's been, uh, he's been gone eight months. Several people have talked to him, and I go back, and I say, Luther, you know better than this. You know what? He already knows the answer to that. I said, Luther, you know you're wrong, right? He already knows the answer to that. And I said, Luther, you know that, see, every question that I'm going to ask him, he already knows. And every verse that I can give you, if I wrote down verse, Luther, I'm going to write down the verses. JT, I'm going to write down the verses that show you why you need to get back where you need to be. And you know what? Both of them could probably quote the verses and I'm writing on the paper. So, see, the problem is not knowledge in that situation. See, the reason why I'm bringing that up is I want you to look. I want you to look at James 5. Look at James 5. You and I have to understand. See, you and I have to understand, thank you, gentlemen, that when we are going out to approach those who have left the Lord, we have to approach them from a... They don't need to be reminded of what they knew because they probably still know it. That's not the problem. James 5, 19 and 20. Somebody read that for me. Now, did you say in the verse 19 or verse 20, I mean, uh, verse 19, he who turns back. He who, is that what you said? Turns back. Yeah. The, the King James uses the word convert, converts a sinner. Same word, same, it's same exact translation. But the idea, think about that. The word convert, that word that's translated turns back is a word that means causes someone to make a complete change. If you convert something, if you turn something from one thing into another, anybody knows what it means to, to put a converter kit on something? Well, it's not what it was, right? It's something totally new. Same word here is used of those who left the Lord. We have to approach them as someone who needs to be taught again the preciousness of what they don't have anymore. Now, that causes me to have to have a little patience. That causes me to have to think about 
their situation a little differently. Well, they should have not. Irrelevant. But, but, irrelevant. It said, he who turns back a sinner from the error of his ways, converts or turns, saves a soul from death. That's talking about a wayward child of God there. And that teaching process, we have to understand that. If you want a very graphic description of how God sees someone who turns away and goes back into the world, you should read 2 Peter chapter 2, 20-22. We won't read it tonight. But it is very graphic, very gross. Uh, and that's the way God sees us if we do that. But number five, an understanding that we have to have is that time is not on our side. Now, this is a very delicate balance here. Time is not on our side. Uh, Hebrews 9 and verse 27. It is appointed unto man to die once, or once to die, the King James says. And after that, what? The judgment. So we know that death is a reality we all face on this side of his coming. And that judgment is a reality that we all face. We know that. And then James 4 and verse 14. That whole passage, in the midst of that passage there, verse 14. What? Don't you know? Or what? No, wait. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little, little while, a little time, and then what? What's the purpose of that text? What's the purpose of that verse? To show us what? About our humanity. It's short. It's hurry. Going in a hurry. Okay. So we have to understand time is not on our side. Now, let me preface this, or let, let me add a, a comment here that we'll, Lord willing, look at later. That doesn't mean that we can hurry our approach. We have to teach those and let God's Word work on their heart. How long does it take for God's Word to work on the heart? Different times. Okay, does that mean I have to react differently to them? Yes. Okay. Now, I believe... No, I don't want to say that. I think we have to be careful because, well, I will say this. I think that I can be emotionally persuasive enough to get someone into that water who has no idea really what that water is except. Now, does that mean that I have to insist that everybody, you know, do I have to insist that every person has to be able to quote so many verses and tell me, no. And how do you handle that? You let God handle it. You let God handle it. And you will know. I'll give you a good illustration. I was sitting uh, at Maywood Christian Camp in front of a nine-year-old who had grown up in the Lord's church. Now, we don't advocate that nine-year-olds ought to be baptized. They ought to, uh, That's not... Now, the truth is, if I wanted to, I could... I could announce a 75 to 80 people baptism every time we had a camp session, if I played it right. But I refused to do that. We shouldn't do that. We won't do that. But I sat in front of this nine-year-old who came and said, I want to obey the gospel. I want to be baptized. We always talk to them. Why? Because camp is an emotional time. 
and they see other people doing it. They've been thinking about it. We always have them talk to mom or dad. And we, and we did. But this individual, I'll never forget, he answered every question. And he looked at me and he said, I know I'm lost. I know I haven't done a lot of bad things, but I know I'm lost. I'm supposed to obey the gospel. And if I don't and I die tonight, I'll be lost. Okay, this is what I told Terry. I said, I may stand before God for a lot of things, but I will not stand before God. And him asked me why I didn't baptize that little boy. Uh, now, we've had others who have said, uh, well, yeah, I'd go to heaven if I died tonight. I'm, I'm a good guy, you know, and uh, I don't really, I just want to be baptized because, okay, let's talk some more. Let's talk some more. And the mom and dad helps with that. If you allow God to handle it and you use common sense and patience, then you'll know. You'll know. Time is not on there. I think that, that principle here is for us. There's an urgency. It's not how fast we can get them in the water because that's between them and God, right? That's between them and God. Those, this time is not on their side, is for whom? That message is for whom? Who? Well, yes. Oh, definitely. But barring them, let's leave the lost out of it a second. That message is primarily for who? Yeah, we, yes, straying Christians, absolutely. Shh. Uh, for us, but to get us going. Who said for us? Definitely for us. We've got to get out there. Oh, definitely, that's certainly the case for Aaron. But that is for us. Time is short. That means you can't keep thinking about it. You've got to do it. Okay, and I want to show you something real quick because uh, it won't go well with next week. I want to show you this. We have to develop a burden of souls. Every 21 seconds, somebody dies without the Lord. 50 million people die every year. Now, you put that together. I wish the 4 billionth person was born on March the 27th, 1976. Did you hear that? 4 billionth? 70 million more are born than, are, than die. Let those numbers kind of stack up. My math brain won't do it. Your math teachers are just sucking that in, but I can't do that. Uh, come on now. If we convert, this is the one I want to get to. If we convert 300,000 souls in 2022, that's four one thousandth of 1% of the world's population increase. Exactly. Doesn't that blow your mind? So it's time to do what we need to do. Thank you so very much for your time. Let's have a quick prayer and then parents may go get your children. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to study your truth. May we be ever mindful of what we can do and do it. In your son's name, amen. Parents, go get your children. The rest of you have to say hi to somebody before you leave here.